0: Good afternoon. Can you believe Thanksgiving is around the corner? Came by so fast. In many of our churches where the gospel is preached, uh, the focus oftentimes seems to be only on the cross, on the death of Christ, on the forgiveness of our sins. But the cross, did you know, is only half of the gospel. What about the rest of the gospel? The apostle Paul says in Romans 15:14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith and our faith is in vain. If Jesus has not been resurrected, simply we would not be here today talking about him, worshiping him this afternoon. Sadly, the resurrection is often ignored, assumed, or mentioned only in passing uh, in our churches and really only emphasized once a year at Easter. Churches follow the commercialization of this Christian holiday and make such a big deal about Jesus' resurrection primarily on Easter only, when the reality is the word Easter isn't even found in the Bible. The truth of the matter is, Christians should be celebrating the glorious and wondrous resurrection of Jesus every Sunday. Amen? So happy Resurrection Sunday. That's what Christians all over the world have been doing on the first day of the week for over 2,000 years ever since Jesus got up from the grave. This is because Jesus' resurrection changed everything. It changed the narrative of the Christian faith from tragedy to triumph. The resurrection changed Christianity from a small Middle Eastern sect to the most widespread and influential faith all over the globe. But the question is, how does the resurrection affect you today? As Christians, how well do you employ the reality of Jesus's resurrection in your life. As pastor John MacArthur says, the resurrection is the ground of our assurance. It is the basis for all our future hopes and the source of power in our daily lives here and now. It gives us courage in the midst of persecution, comfort in the midst of trials and hope in the midst of the world's darkness. So even as the global pandemic continued to burden our daily lives even as the troubles of this world and the difficult circumstances of our lives oftentimes discourage and disrupt us. We, as the blood-bought bride of Christ, the church, has sure reason, has certain reason to persevere, to rejoice, to hope, no matter what comes our way. Amen? Because the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, according to Romans eight eleven. But the question again is, is this true? of you are the implications of Jesus's resurrection present and prevalent in your life today. We're continuing our study through John's gospel. And this fall, we're giving attention to the seven "I Am" sayings of Jesus and its relevant passages. What is the significance of the seven signs, which was part one of our study last fall and the seven sayings of Jesus. Well, John doesn't leave us in suspense. He tells us explicitly exactly the reason why he wrote the gospel of John in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, which says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the purpose of John's gospel is is to show us who Jesus is in order that we may believe and have life in his name. So his works and his words reveal that Jesus was more than just a mere man, more than a regular rabbi, more than just a prominent prophet, that he is indeed the promised Messiah who has come to save us from our sins. Last fall, when we studied the first 10 verses of John chapter 11, the verses which sets up John's seventh sign, the raising up of Lazarus. I was so encouraged in the earlier months of the pandemic of our church planting from this story, particularly John chapter 11, verse 4, when Jesus says, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And we were reminded of some profound truths, weren't we? That Jesus is glorified through our illnesses and our afflictions. That Jesus' patient delay proves his love for us, and that Jesus' absence strengthens our faith. We learned, even in the face of death, in waiting on God, in Jesus' seeming absence, God has a purpose for his people. Amen? So, this afternoon through John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27, the fifth I am saying of Jesus, I want us to consider what it means for us as Christians to know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So from our passage, I want to share with you three truths about the resurrection to encourage and empower you in the face of life's difficult trials. Here's the outline. So you know what's ahead point number one from verses 17 through 24, the resurrection and the life is not a future, but a present reality is not a future, but a present reality from verses 24 through 26, the resurrection and the life is not an event, but a person. Not an event, but a person. And verse 27, the resurrection and the life is obtained through personal response. Brothers and sisters, through this word, I pray that you will be reminded of the power available and working in you as followers of Christ. That the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you and what that means for you and me. And if you're not a Christian here today, I pray that you'll see the reason why the Christian faith is unique from all other religions of the world, because we don't worship a dead God, but a God who was resurrected and alive today and how that affects you. So look with me to John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27 in your Bibles. And I do encourage you when you do have time, read the entire chapter 11 soon to get a fuller picture. But for today, let's focus on these verses. And as I read and preach, follow along with me and please keep your Bibles open for the entire duration of the message, and follow along. If you're new to the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers. So John chapter 11, verse 17 through 27, it says this. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Shall he live? And everyone lives who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, "Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world." What does Jesus' resurrection mean for you and me today? Point number one: the resurrection and the life is not a future, but a present reality. From verses 17 through 24. And just as a heads up, proportionate to the verses that I just shared. The first point will be longer, and the last two points will be shorter. Well, seems like perhaps an obvious truth, but so many Christians forget that the power of the resurrection is not something that happens or is available to us only in the bookends of our faith when we are first converted and then put on pause through the duration of our lives until we die and are resurrected to heaven. No, the resurrection power is a present reality for all Christians who have the Spirit of God living inside of us from start to finish. Look at verses 17 through 19. These verses help set the scene for our passage. It says this. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Previous verses in John chapter 11 tells us, Lazarus is a brother of Mary and Martha who are close friends of Jesus and Lazarus had fallen ill. But the difficult puzzle of this entire story is in verse five of chapter 11. It says this, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that Lazarus is ill, what does he do? It says not that Jesus rushed to Bethany to care for Lazarus, not that Jesus prayed for Lazarus for his healing on the spot. It says in verse 5, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, let me advise, when you hear news that your loved ones are sick or about to die, don't delay your visit. Don't put off your condolences. We see in verse 18, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. It was customary, it was common practice to be present with loved ones who are hurting and mourning. So, This is probably the one time I would ever encourage you not to follow Jesus' example. But of course, we are not Jesus. We don't have sovereign knowledge. Jesus was definitely up to something. That's verse 4, which I mentioned to you at the beginning, right? But when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Interested? Interested? Okay, that's what we're studying this passage. Well, since Jesus had first heard the news, several days had passed. And by the time Jesus arrives in Bethany to where Lazarus and Martha and Mary were, verse 17 tells us Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. The King James Version, you guys know, uh, that pastors frequently quote, describing Lazarus' state at this point in John 11:39 39 says this, by this time he stinketh for he had been dead for four days. By this time, Lazarus' body had been decomposing and it stunk. Now, I'm not sure if I'm doing my math correctly, but if Jesus had first heard the news of Lazarus' sickness and stayed two days more, and by the time he had arrived in Bethany, Lazarus has already been dead and in the tomb for four days, that's an awful long time for Jesus to delay his coming. Chapter 10, verse 40 tells us the last place Jesus was, was across the Jordan, about four days journey from Bethany. That means Jesus didn't come to Lazarus for at least six whole days. Now let's give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. Jesus also had been away from the proximity of the city of Jerusalem uh, in verses 18 to 19. Why? We're told uh, Bethany was just less than two miles away. Why? Because the Jewish leaders were seeking to arrest him. And kill him. And his time had not yet come. But what we see in this story is not Jesus seeking to avoid the Jewish leaders. Jesus is not trying to be fashionably late to make some grand entrance. Jesus had a reason. Jesus had a purpose for his delay. To teach us. To teach his disciples more clearly who he is and what he came to do. And his purpose is further elucidated in the following verses. Look at verses 20 through 22. It says this. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. First of all, there's a lot we can observe and analyze what Martha says and whether Martha had the right or wrong faith. Also, uh, even comparing and contrasting Martha and Mary and how Jesus responded to the both of them differently, there's a lot of things that could be said about that. Many commentators remark how in Luke's gospel, Mary's calm and contemplative disposition allows her to choose the good portion, to sit beside Jesus and listen to his teaching, and Mary in the gospel of Luke is commended. But in John's gospel, Martha's assertiveness and active temperament causes her to go forward to meet Jesus and receive comfort from him sooner and have the privilege of hearing the blessing of Jesus' powerful saying in verses 25 through 26. Well, again, there are many differing opinions about Martha and Mary uh, and which posture was right in reference to Jesus. And I think the story is simply showing us how different people respond to different situations in different ways and how Jesus is compassionate and gentle toward all. But I want us to zero in on the main emphasis, the main point of what this passage is teaching us, what Jesus is aiming to reveal about himself in this particular situation. Again, whether Martha had legit faith or not in verse 21 through 22, when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Whether that's legitimate faith or not, that's up to debate. And different commentators say different things about it. But I think the most of our initial observations are correct. Okay, there is a bit of disappointment. You hear it in her voice, a bit of frustration, a bit of anger, perhaps. After all, Martha was mourning the death of her brother. Her brother had just passed away only four days ago. I don't know how else Martha could have acted, reacted to Jesus. She really needed Jesus to be there. They really needed Jesus to be present Martha and Mary had sent for Jesus to come days ago, six days ago. That's what it said in chapter 11, verse 3. But what in the world was Jesus doing delaying? Jesus was their close friend. Jesus had been going around doing all sorts of miracles and healings, and they thought only if Jesus would have come on time, only if Jesus had been there. But what does he do? He comes four days too late. Too late. Brothers and sisters, have you ever felt God is too late? Do you ever feel God is delaying too long? That's exactly what the psalmist expressed when they wrote, How long? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Sometimes in our lives we complain and grumble. How can a good God make me wait this long? And you question his character. Is God punishing me? Where was God when I felt all alone? Where was God when my dad or mother passed away? Where was God when I was rejected? Where is God when I feel so depressed and discouraged about my circumstances? And you cry. How long, O oh God? With a snap of a finger, you can change things, God. So why don't you? Why didn't you? I think that's what Martha was saying in verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Take a second to ponder what it is that Martha would have wanted from Jesus at that point. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What a curious thing to say. Because she could not have fathomed what was about to happen. Could she? What Martha believed about verse 22 was common to believe that God listens to prayers of his people as supported by John nine 31. But I think the point is Jesus does for us beyond what we could ever imagine. That's the point over and over again. Jesus proves himself to be more than just a prominent prophet. You see God does for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. Amen. Can somebody testify last year around this time? I shared with you how I was so thankful For each of our founding members and the way God has been so good and faithful to us as a new church, already a year has passed. Can you believe it? Do you remember how we prayed for months for a meeting location? We prayed for a certain location or better. And look where we are. We are in the central heart of Rockville. And our membership has nearly doubled. The Lord has answered in so many amazing ways for all of our prayer requests. And this week, I was so encouraged and reminded of the ways our Lord continues to be faithful and has been providing for our members. Answered prayers for a new job. A sister had shared recently at a woman's retreat that she'd love a new job so she can get connected to the church better. But the probabilities of getting a new job was very low for her at the time. But the sisters prayed, and this week, she shared with us she got a new job. And another sister, I don't think she's here today, but her long-awaited security clearance has finally come through. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our good shepherd is one who knows and loves and protects and provides for his sheep. Of course, God sometimes answers, wait. But that's because he has a purpose. He wants us to show us something. He wants to show you more of who he is. He wants to show you how much he loves you. He wants to strengthen your faith in him and not in yourself. So, beloved, when troubles of life come your way, do you trust In Jesus' sovereign purpose and provision, do you wait in humble expectation? Even in this local church community, things are not perfect. We all realize church planting and being part of a new church isn't easy, but let me encourage you, hold on, press in, don't disconnect, don't be discouraged, trust Jesus. He is working on us, amen? He is growing us, he is stretching us. Waiting is hard for everyone, but waiting is good for us. It's God's will for us. He has a purpose for us. That's Jesus' promise to Martha in verse 23. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. I know we didn't read the previous verses, but know that this is Jesus' intention all along. Jesus said in verse 4, This illness does not end in death. Jesus again says it in verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Then in verse 14, it says again, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Then again in verse 23, your brother will rise again. What was it that Jesus wanted his disciples to believe through this great miracle and this great teaching? So many things. Jesus always keeps his word. That Jesus is indeed trustworthy. That we can wait on Jesus with expectation and more. But here in this specific instance, a lesson that Martha could have never imagined. Martha responds to Jesus saying in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, Martha was knowledgeable with what most of the Pharisaic Jews believed at the time regarding the resurrection of the dead on the last day. But Jesus' promise, your brother will rise again again wasn't merely words of consolation for a grieving sister of a future resurrection, as many people talk about some abstract heaven where all people will end up floating around on clouds with angel wings. The promise that Jesus was saying was more of a immediate resurrection that the story of this chapter will unfold. And this resurrection isn't a future reality. It is a present reality, as in right now. Brothers and sisters, this story unfolds before Jesus' finished work on the cross, his bodily death and resurrection. So do you recognize how much more of a reality that Jesus' resurrection and life means for you and me, who are his people, post-Jesus' resurrection? God's spirit lives inside of each of us who claim to be professors of, of Christ, believers of Christ. His spirit that delivered us from the bondage of sin and death lives in us today. As the psalmist asks in Psalm 42, verses 4 through 6, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Brothers and sisters, we like sheep are prone to stray and forget so often. So I want to encourage you to remember today. As you pour out your soul in worship, remember him who raised you up to new life. Remember him who is the lifter of your heads. Remember him as you journey to this celestial city to hope in God and praise him again, who is your salvation and your God. You were raised, you are rising, and you will rise again. That's why Ephesians 6 verses 13 through 14 says, Having done all you can to stand firm, the next two words, stand firm. This is the mark of the true Christian, not that we don't ever fall or fail, not that we are never depressed or discouraged, but that when we fall, we will rise again by Christ's present resurrection power. That is our present reality, the spirit of God that lives inside of us. And brothers and sisters, you don't have to fight alone. When you feel like you are down, don't go through it alone. Reach out to a fellow church member and allow us to remind you of this very present help. The promise of Jesus' resurrection is that you will live again. You will live again and forever in eternity. Now, some of you may wonder, is this promise really true for us today? Is this promise that we will live again, that he will live again, really true for us today? Why don't we see more dead people rising back to life today? And that moves us to our second point. What does Jesus' resurrection mean for us? Point number two. The resurrection and the life is not an event, but a person. Verses 25 through 26. Look at those verses again, which says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says the resurrection and the life is not a past or a future event. Jesus says the resurrection and the life is me. It is a person I and the resurrection, and the life. The purpose of Jesus' coming and his death and resurrection was in order that a greater resurrection will be possible for all who would trust in him by faith. In that sense, Lazarus' resurrection was a sign, John's final and great sign, which was not an end in itself, which was pointing to the greater sign, the greatest sign of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the source of all life upon which all men and women may feed and live. Just as Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the source of all truth for the world. Just as Jesus says, I am the door, the way in which all men and women of the world may find salvation. Just as Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the source of all good and all love and provision and protection. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the source of new life and eternal life. Amen. Do you get why he is the resurrection and the life? In him, not only will you be raised from death, resurrection, you will experience the life, new life, abundant life, now and eternal life forevermore. Amen? Jesus is the one in which the great puzzlement of all men, death, finds resolve. All men succumb to death's eventual and inevitable demise, but one man destroyed it. And do you see how Jesus' victory is extended to you and me? Look at the rest of verse 25 and 26, which says this. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus' resurrection life is all-encompassing. End of verse 25 is talking about the bodily resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And verse 26 is speaking of the spiritual resurrection. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, some commentators say these verses are referring to the resurrection of those who are already dead versus those who will die, past, present, and future. And whatever one's interpretation may be in this case, the point is made. Those who die in Christ will be raised in Christ and will live in Christ. Hallelujah. This is not some metaphorical figurative language. Just as Jesus himself was resurrected in the flesh and spent over 40 days with his disciples for a period of over 40 days, seen by various crowds, over 500 people, one of the core doctrines of Christianity, according to our statement of faith, is that Jesus rose again bodily from the grave. Our statement of faith says this, we believe that death is not the end, that though the bodies of all men and women after death return to dust, their spirits live on the righteous departing immediately to be with the Lord and the wicked to be reserved under darkness to the day of judgment. We believe that the end of the world is approaching quickly on the last day. Jesus will descend from heaven, raise the dead bodily from the grave and bring all people to final judgment. At that time, there will be a solemn separation during which the wicked will be judged and sentenced to endless conscious punishment in hell and the righteous in Christ rewarded with endless conscious joy in the new heavens and the new earth. This judgment will fix forever the final state of the people in heaven or hell based upon God's unchanging and unchallengeable principles of righteousness. Those who belong to Jesus will have eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth and live in everlasting joy to the glory of God. Amen? Just as Jesus asked Martha at the end of verse 26, let me ask you this very important question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this glorious, wondrous, and mysterious gospel by faith? Do you believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, the best news you would ever hear? That God, the creator of the universe, created all things and all men and women in love out of his perfect righteousness to know and see his glory and to enjoy him forevermore. We were created to be dependent on him, however, to trust him, to obey him, because in him was the source of everything good. But God didn't want to force us into a relationship. He gave us a choice, didn't he? He placed Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman in the Garden of Eden, where every need and desire were met. And God said, all these are yours, but from this tree do not eat. But Adam and Eve, having been tempted by Satan, chose to distrust God and rebel against God, choosing to be gods unto themselves. And the consequence of their disobedience was separation from God, for a holy God could not be one with sinful man. Sin severed the relationship with God, with one another, and within ourselves. And we had no peace. We had no life. We had no hope and no way back to God. Because death and eternal judgment in hell was our just punishment for our ongoing self-reliance and insurrection against God. But here's the good news. God had a plan from the very beginning to save a people from their sins, to know his great redeeming love. And his plan was to send Jesus God's only son, the prophesied and promised Messiah of the scriptures, who is truly God and truly man to live our substitute life and to die our substitute death on the cross. And on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from death, putting an end to all deaths so that by his death, our own old sinful flesh may die. And that by his resurrection, we will be resurrected into new life with him. And when he returns for the second time, we will be raised to eternal life with him forevermore. If you are here and you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are, welcome. We are so happy that you are here. There's no better place you can be than under God's word with God's people. But since you are here, let me ask you this very important question. What will you do about death? What will you do about death? Everyone in this room will die sooner or later. How have you settled in your heart and mind that death is looming over you? What will happen to you after death? Contrary to what so many believe, there is no free pass to heaven and eternal life. If you spend all your life rejecting God and rebelling against God, what entitles you to his home? What merits you a sinner to enter his heaven? If you believe in heaven, you surely don't believe that there are many paths to enter. Do you just as only one key opens the door to your house? There is only one way to enter heaven and that's through Jesus the Christ who gave himself up so that you may be raised to new life and eternal life no one else is coming no one else made a way for you there is no other way back to god you can gamble your chances but one thing is clear we are not invincible someday you will die 100% guaranteed and you don't know when and maybe tonight and maybe tomorrow 20 years from now but what i'm telling you what i'm asking you what i'm pleading with you don't chance your eternity with your stubbornness or yourself. Don't bet on yourself. In other words, Jesus, the savior of your soul has come for you. So repent of your need of him today. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for you this moment. Trust him with your whole life right now. Don't leave this place without talking to someone about how you can follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you believe by faith, not by feelings, not by circumstances that Jesus resurrection and life is living inside of you right now. Presently. Do you believe by faith that Jesus is your very present help in time of need as a spirit lives and works in you? Do you believe that? Do you believe it? 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, In him there is freedom. Romans 15.13 says, In him hope fills you with all joy and peace. John 14.16 says, He is an advocate to help you and be with you forever. John 14.26 says, He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Ephesians 4.30 says, In him you were sealed for the day of redemption. These are just a few verses of the presence and power we have in the Holy Spirit now because Jesus rose again from the grave. The question again, do you believe this? And this leads to our final, much shorter point. What does Jesus' resurrection mean for you and me? Third and finally, the resurrection and the life is obtained through personal response. Verse 27, the question that Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this, is very important and poignant. In her grieving, listen, in her feelings, which are all the right responses in a sinful world. They are all credible expressions in our broken, fallen state. Her brother just died. She is in pain. She is miserable. She is disappointed. She is sad. She is angry. She is anxious. She is upset. She is doubtful. But... She is not hopeless, you see. That is her response to Jesus. Notice her answer in faith. Martha's incredible response in verse 27. She says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into this world. If Peter had his Hall of Fame confession in the Gospel of Matthew, Martha's confession is also on par. What an incredible profession. What an incredible testament of faith. We should give more attention to it. Martha doesn't say, Okay, show me, Jesus. Right? When Jesus says, do you believe? Martha doesn't say, show me, Jesus. Let me see. No, her confidence in the resurrection and the life that Jesus spoke of was not dependent on what she saw with her eyes. It was by faith. Her confidence, you see, was solely on Jesus, on who he is. Remember, this is before Jesus resurrects Lazarus. Remember, this is before Jesus himself is resurrected. You see, the author, Apostle John, is showing us Martha undoubtedly represents those who believed before they had seen and understood everything that Jesus, the I am, would mean. Martha believed Jesus was the promised Messiah. Martha believed Jesus was the son of God. Martha believed Jesus was the one who was sent into the world for our salvation. What perfect theology. What perfect confession. She believed that the resurrection and the life would come by Jesus alone. That is a reality of the resurrection and the life. Only in. Only through. Only by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you again. In your loneliness... In your illnesses, in your worries, in your anxieties, in your fear, what is your response? Do you lean on your personal relationship with your Savior? Do you cling to Jesus who is the great I am? Yes, you can feel all those things, but do you hope? Yes, you can be pressed on every side, but are you crushed You are perplexed, but are you in despair? You are persecuted, but are you abandoned? Struck down, but are you destroyed? 2 Corinthians 4.10 says, We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. Brothers and sisters, may Jesus' resurrection and the life be your response in every season and in every circumstance. May our daily death Remind us of the life we have in him as we die to ourselves. May his life be lived out through you. Amen? What does Jesus' resurrection mean for you and me? To conclude, listen to this prayer. It says this. O God of my exodus, great was the joy of Israel's sons when Egypt died upon the shore. Far greater the joy when the Redeemer's foe lay crushed in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious surety, apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the house of the grave free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Show me herein the proof that his vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, the devil's scepter is shivered, that his wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died, in him I rose, in his life I live, in his victory I triumphed, in his ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, thou who was lifted upon the cross, art ascended to the highest heaven. Thou who as a man of sorrows was crowned with thorns, art now the Lord of life, wreathed with glory. Once No shame more deep than thine, no agony more bitter, no death more cruel. Now, no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. Thou art in the triumph's car, leading captive thine enemies behind thee. What more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection, my peace, thy ascension, my hope, thy prayers, my comfort. Brothers and sisters, Do you believe this? May we long for heaven. May we long for his resurrection and his life daily. Are you waiting well for his return? Or are you stuck looking at your current situation and circumstances? May this word remind you that this life here on earth is temporary. But Jesus is coming soon to give us eternal life with him. Until then, may his promises and may his present help sustain us, persevere us and give us much joy and hope. Let's pray. Heavenly father, we praise you and honor you that you are the resurrection and the life. And father, the resurrection and the life that we have in you is our very present help and our very present power. Father, it is a power. It is a presence that this world does not know. It is a hope that they do not understand. But Father, we as the people of God stand firm upon the ground and upon the promise and the hope of Christ that he is our life, though our flesh may fail daily. Help us to cling to you. Help us to look to you. Help us to eagerly wait for you, for you have a purpose in our waiting, that we may know you more, that you may strengthen our faith. Be glorified and honored through the perseverance of your people, we pray for your glory and for the building up of your church and for the advancement of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.